Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. James, Amir Khan, and I'm presuming it's not the boxer Amir Khan, or, or the actor, Bollywood star Amir Khan, um, says that reflective role models can play a part. Uh, what two things would the panel want to see for immediate change? Can, can I just come back on just one thing that was said about being caught? I think it's important to remember, and I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here, I think it's important to remember that Yorkshire got called out by the press. They didn't yeah. get called out by cricket. They didn't get called out by necessarily the support supporters until it kind of grew a little bit of a head of steam. Um, if it hadn't been for myself and George DeBell, in, you know, who writes for ESPN Crick Info, who continue to write stories on this and continue to put pressure on the club to do differently, A, that independent investigation that wasn't independent wouldn't have happened, and B, it wouldn't have ended up where it did do. So I think um, the game needs to look at itself in terms of the reporting mechanisms and in terms of how it actually views... Um, incidents of racism because I think it's very easy um, in cricket to, um, as the questioner suggested, to kind of like sweep it under the table to some degree. And as well, I mean, my, my concern is that what is a headline one day in the UK, people have very short attention spans and people move on to something else. It'll be Boris one day, it'll be Azim the next, then it'll be England playing football the next and people move on, don't they? And we need to have somehow... You know, as as a country, as a as a community, as people that just care um, about doing the right thing, we need to keep people accountable. We need to keep the pressure on for change. It's very it, very easy. This twelve point plan that the ECB announced before Christmas, I've not heard of it since. Um, yeah, and so we've got to, we've, we've, I think it's our job, isn't it, as press yeah. to hold? The, but the, the, yeah, the, ash, the ashes yeah, that, comes up and all the fallout yeah. from the ashes yeah. that starts to hit the headlines, and it's very easy to kind of to lose momentum with something. So we need to, and that this is all, you know, I think it's important to say as well, it's important that white people 
own racism and, and a part of the process and talk to people and understand it. But I think it comes from all different cultures. You know, all different cultures are at fault to various degrees with racism. And I think we need we need to be open to that as well. And in the same way that you know, we all need to kind of learn and grow and understand people's cultures, that works every single which way, I think. Okay, look, I want to go back to the Amir Khan question in, in, in just a moment, but uh, Borja uh, Karabadra said, I'm the chairman of Luton Town, an Indians cri cri county cricket club in Bedfordshire, one of the most diverse cricket clubs in the country. The 12-point plan from the ECB is a step in the right direction, but is in danger of becoming a tick-box exercise because the point you make, Halima, which is that there's been no consultation at grassroots. So... Let's go to the Amir Khan question, which is what two things would the panel starting off with you, if I may, Halima, uh, would you want to would you want to see for immediate change? So I suppose the first one is that co-production, because co-production will lead to sh will lead sorry to shared ownership. You feel a part of something, you're more likely to put more time, effort, and passion into bringing that to life. Um, and I suppose my second thing, and I, and I think I'm going to talk just from my experience in sport administration, is we need to stop looking at equality, diversity and inclusion as projects that stop and start. Um, we're all guilty of it. How do you mean? How do, how do you mean? So we're all it's like interventions. So it's like, OK, let's plough two million pounds into um, South Asian project. Football do similar with the Asians in football project. It, it's needed, but it should be seen as a kind of startup almost like it's a business startup you could say it's a it's something it's a resource that has to go into a particular area because positive action needs to be achieved in that particular area due to underrepresentation. but I think we and and I, and I say it's like a royal we just because of my experience in sport is we do look at things as project ends but I think this is more than that this is about how do we create behavior change how do we create a culture that's going to go beyond the lifeline of the project so if we're going to plough in I don't know you know two million pounds or we're going to decide to put something together over the next 12 months how do we ensure after the 12 months that that doesn't then just stop there and then it becomes a story in history actually we want to be able yep. to look back at that and say that that was that intervention was needed it kick-started something but we're still seeing the kind of fruits of that labour years and years on and it started to that culture and that behaviour started to ingrain into people's minds I feel like we have to start from that point as opposed to just looking at things in a short term. And, you know, organisations like Sport England, UK Sport, well, probably say more Sport England more than anything. You know, they're talking about tackling inequalities. Tackling inequalities is not something that you start, you know, in March and finish in April. Tackling inequalities is lifelong because then organisations and then communities that you're trying to tackle them inequalities with, they are still going to be there after that. Sundar, how do you stop it becoming a tick box? As a tick box? Yeah, I think I think it's right to say that you know That's your there dog, needs right? to be more engagement from below and with the grassroots as well, um, and that but that you know people want to see something very quickly. So it's fine to have a top twelve point plan right from the top. You've got to go and do the engagement and make it co-owned. What I was struck me in cricket, especially and across sports, is that you do your minority outreach over here, engage Asian communities, and you do your anti-racism slogans over there for a different audience, and that you're missing the point about social connection, about co-production in the truest sense. And so I think you've got to engage across the communities properly. Uh, James, uh, what are your two thoughts? Yeah, I, th I think there needs to be an independent body in sport, a bit like Ofsted in education or something like that, that is able to go around purely on 
um, equality issues and look but at wasn't, but, but, is it, but if, if we think about every single sport, uh, if we take the ECB, who's a regulator of, 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 of cricket, isn't it ECB's responsibility to get to do that? I think it should be the ECB's responsibility to put this into progress and make it independent. But it's not, you know, if you actually think about it, Barney, it's not in the ECB's interest to have elements of racism popping up left, right and centre around the country, is it? Because it makes them look bad. Um, yep. You know, it, there's there's a kind of an, an extent to that where if the governing body is getting peppered with racism scandals left, right and centre, it's not making the governing body look very good. So it needs to be somebody who is not held accountable by the ECB, he's not employed by the ECB to go out there and actually look with fresh eyes and, you know, with, with elements of good practice in, in their back pocket. So actually, to give advice, I'm not talking about punishing clubs. I'm not talking about you know blowing things open unless there's really bad examples. But you know, give people guidance on how to do this. I mean, we talk about education and taking cricketers into the classrooms. I can tell you now that you take a cricketer into a classroom four o'clock in the afternoon. The last thing they want to do is sit there and talk, get talked to about something. Yeah, you know, they're, they're there to play cricket, and it's it's it just goes in one ear and out the other. They're not they're not bothered. I think the second thing as well is that the um, the pathway schemes and the way through cricket. You know, we spoke earlier about the fact that there's a lot of participation of minority groups at grassroots level playing for their clubs, and that is not reflected on the professional in the professional game. And there's a reason for that. There's plenty of reasons for that. Um, I spoke to Dr. Thomas Fletcher on my podcast, and we went through this in quite a lot of detail. In that, you know, the, the there's so many stumbling blocks in that. The, you know, a lot of coaches are white. You know, you don't get very many, um, you know, people of colour as coaches because um, they, they're deemed to kind of do things slightly differently. Uh, you know, a young um, Asian player is maybe more likely to go out there and hit across the line and just be enjoying himself as a youngster. And that's deemed to be not cricket by uh, somebody that's looking to be um, for, for somebody to be playing in the V and, and stuff like that. So many stumbling blocks in the pathway through from being a youngster enjoying cricket to actually having these ambitions to play for Yorkshire or England or whoever, which need to be taken out of the, out of the way. Somebody needs to actually step back and you know, properly talk to people and, and investigate how those stumbling blocks can be taken out there. And you know, that's not to say that Yorkshire should be made up of 11 players of colour. You know, if, if Yorkshire is an all-white all county, or the first 11 is all-white, that's fine for me as long as everybody has had the right... Um, you know the same amount of chances to actually represent the club and at the moment I don't think those chances exist in the same way across the board You are listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast Well that brings me nicely on to Jill Rutter Spirit of 2012 who asks a question, do we need a complete change of management at the top of cricket to be truly inclusive sport i want to broaden it to not just cricket but to the whole of sport do we need a complete change of management halima i think it comes back to james point people will always say you've you've got to get the best people in the job as well you can't just give give jobs to anyone however at the same time of saying that there needs to be more diversity in management and from two two parts and that is the the seen diversity but also the unseen you yeah. can have diversity at a very senior management level. But if they've all had the same upbringing, if they've all had the same level of education, the, the diversity is not going to exist apart from what you yeah. can see. So I think there needs to be diversity at both levels in order for management to be able to change their systems and their processes. It, it isn't just about everyone looking different to each other. It's also about how we all think differently. 
but appreciating and respecting that it's okay for people to think differently as well. And if five people are all thinking the same and one is thinking differently, it's not a case of that that one person is wrong. It's that we have to accept that that's the world that we live in. Sundar? It's not about a complete change of management, I think. And that, that's almost ducking out of the, of the issue. I mean, obviously, if there's a very toxic culture that has been created, um, you know, then you need to have change at the top of the people who've been responsible for that. But actually, you need to need, use the experience that's there. And you also need, I think, which we're missing is a positive vision about what success looks like, because the thing that makes it a tick box exercise is the sense that this is all compliance, put in place the right reporting schemes and then say it's all done. And the positive vision is inclusion, where diversity becomes a norm. And so if it's not, you know, a third of women and then half the people are women, that becomes normal, not exceptional. But we're talking about one in six people of our in our country being black, Asian or mixed race. So you want, you know, a normal dressing room, a normal boardroom to have the right levels of diversity. Obviously, in something like football, you've got enormous diversity on the pitch and no diversity in most boardrooms. And so there's obviously a barrier there. But I think if people say it's time for us to get out of the way and let the people who know about this take over, you're losing what the responsibility is, which is to have these institutions, these centres of power, cultural power in our society have to be equally open. And, you know, ethnic diversity is one thing class diversity is another thing sexuality gender so just the normalness not the specialness of somebody being there and then being asked to speak for whole groups of people we're probably 15 20 years away from getting there but that's the positive vision we want i hope uh, farah likbel uh, that answers your question about uh, tick boxes and superficiality let's go to dr Manoj joshi who's a uh, uh, a DL, a deputy lieutenant. How can knee-jerk responses be turned into sustainable, long-term, irreversible change? James, do you want to take that? I agree with the sentiment of the question, to be honest. I think at the moment we are, um, ECB's under pressure, Yorkshire's under pressure to change and change tonight or today or yesterday uh, and to do things. And, you know, th this, you know, racism isn't something that has just started, is it? You know, racism has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. In various and ways. Some, of our, some of our audiences is asking, why are we still talking about it? Yeah, um, but I think at the moment there's pressure on these organisations to change. Obviously, I mean, going back to the, the initial first question, Yorkshire, I think, had to get rid of the hierarchy at Yorkshire because they were still, you know, Halima mentioned it earlier, they were still in denial. They don't think they've done anything wrong. I think if you actually ask the outgoing chief executive if he's done anything wrong, he'd still say no, which is bewildering to me because it's quite obvious that the processes in the and, and it just wasn't followed so you know i think if it is as sundar said if it is a massive um toxic environment you have to have change but i think knee-jerk reactions are dangerous because you are doing it because you've been embarrassed and you're forced into doing it rather than because you see it as being the right thing to do and actually really want to own a change in society uh, and a change in cricket so i think you know it needs to be fought through a lot more than that I think, you know, you need to do the proper research. You need to go out there into the communities and ask people what their what their visions are as well uh, and actually make it a sustainable thing where, as I said before, everybody owns it and everybody see, see, wants to be part of it. You know, if you own something, if you're a you know, white, brown, black, whatever, we're playing for a, a cricket club in the, you know, in Bradford or, or further afield from where I'm sitting at the moment, 
you want to actually feel as if you're part of the sport, that you own the change, that it's your change, and you can see a purpose for that change, and you can see it actually might, you know, might actually create something better in the future. I think the 12-point plans and just throwing them out there are done for the right reasons, potentially, but I think they're dangerous because you may be not doing, you know, you change for the sake of it and taking taking cricket down a different path. How do you know that path's the right path? Yeah. Um, so I think you need to do it a little bit more measured than that. And change isn't going to happen next week, two weeks, next year. You know, the perfect society probably doesn't exist. And the frustration, the frustration for me is that I say I've been reporting on this for yeah. 14 years, so that's two generations. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm just gobsmacked that, you know, okay, yeah, I, I'll accept that things have improved. But I'm just gobsmacked, like many in the audience, that we're still having to talk about but it. I don't think, Barney, I think a lot of white people are a, a little bit reluctant to speak on the subject. As we saw with Ryan Sidebottom yesterday, you start speaking about racism, you, you can potentially slip up and get yourself into, into trouble. Um, I think a lot of um, people from all sides don't understand the histories of, of racism. You go, like I say, it's go, it dates back hundreds and hundreds of years, racism, slavery, yeah. uh, Martin yeah. Luther King in America, whatever else, you know, all the way through to what, what we're experiencing now. I think there have been improvements. I think people are much more likely to call people out on social media than they ever were before. Um, but I think they're also social media has given people a platform to be, quite frankly, horrific at times. And, you know, we saw that with the, the football, didn't we, in, in the, at the end of the Euros with the, the three black lads that missed the penalties, how how that spilt over in, and brought in the worst of our society after it's, you know, yeah. the, the the beauty of that sport, you know, the, I thought Gareth Southgate and this New England and rep, we were representing everybody was fantastic at the start of it. The, the public letter he wrote to explain why they were taking the knee and everything was that, that's what proper inclusion and, and proper thoughts actually look like. And then it's great so, leadership, actually. Yeah, it's great, absolutely. But by the he time said, that, I made the decision and the buck stops with yeah. me, and, and by, but by the time the last penalty was missed then we saw the worst side of it, didn't we? And we saw the kind of kickback to all of that as well. And, you know, so we're, we're a long way from being perfect in our, in our world. We're a long, long way from it. My name is Jacob and I sent the Badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. Halima. Liz Perbrick asks a question which I think is really apposite, which is this. How do we get people to move from being a bystander, seeing or hearing things that they don't agree with, but feeling that it doesn't affect them to taking action and not relying on the people affected to call it out? It's a brilliant question. And it, it, it's that time that it's about people's own courage. It's about people's own confidence as well and being comfortable to be in a situation where you may realise that if nobody speaks up for somebody who's been marginalised or has experienced racism or homophobic abuse or anything of the sort, am I willing to stand up, as you mentioned, push my kind of head above the parapet and, and say something about that? Because only when you do that, people will start to realise and they've checked, you know, you're checking on them to say, actually, what you've said and what you've done is wrong. And I'm not comfortable being in that environment where these types of conversations are happening, where we're not being an ally with each other but I think the challenge that you have is not many people will do that because it's easier to stay silent and just be like oh they didn't mean it or maybe you've taken it the wrong way 
actually, or it's banter. Oh, it's banter. Yes, there you go. Or it's banter. So I think the intent can always be changed over by the person saying it. Say, so, well, I didn't mean it like that. You've taken it the wrong way. But actually, we have to be comfortable to have the conversation to say, well, that's how you said it. This is how I took it, by the way. And some things, you know, and, and I don't want you to do it again. But having somebody else come forward and do that for you speaks volumes because it means, and, and this is the whole thing that we're trying to come to, aren't we? It's inclusion. It's belonging. Because when somebody else sticks up for me, for example, if I'm a victim of racism, when somebody else sticks up for me, I feel like I belong in that environment. And it's for organisations. So say, for example, you know, if there is abuse going on at a county game at Yorkshire, what are Yorkshire doing to put in place steps to say to people, it is okay for you to stand up to that? And Sunder, would you, would, you, uh, would you agree that really sometimes it's so easy to put the onus on those who are the victims rather than those who see it? Um, and, and can intervene and step in. Yes, but in either case, whether it's the victim or whether it's a bystander or an ally, that signal really comes from organisational culture. It really comes from leadership, team leadership, club leadership, organisational leadership. Everybody knows when they're in an institution which is saying, these are the values, we stand up for this and you know we're going to stick up for it. And a culture where somebody's going to say quietly, you're right, actually, but don't get a reputation as a troublemaker. That won't go down well around here. You know which kind of institution you're in. So if you want people to be braver, then you've got to do it. I think we've seen cultural shifts in our society. I saw cultural shifts inside football stadiums. There are cultural shifts about what you do or don't do on a bus or a train, um, in the street, in the pub, up to a point, in school playgrounds, and so on. So bringing about that, people don't know what to do as a bystander, for example, on social media. So if you step in, you might have to police the internet for the rest of all time. So it's easier to step out. People, people feel that they would, um, if they saw overt racism, they would speak out and step up or would feel bad if they didn't. And then they don't quite know what to do about these grey areas and these boundaries and these things take another way. So we've got to bring that conversation out into the open and have a culture that allows that. Because otherwise you get, this is the tick box point. Here are all the codes, here are all the rules, here are the disciplinary procedures. By the way, we won't like people to use them. You, you yeah. know if that's the signal that you're getting. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think McPherson helped us though, didn't he? When he said that a racial incident is in the eye of the beholder. It doesn't have to be the person who is being racially abused who reports it it can be anybody who thinks it's a racial incident i think that can change the culture there's first is a brilliant example as james was saying and we've seen it in sport we've got we've had flashpoint approaches to race Stephen Lawrence inquiry we're all very concerned but maybe we lose the momentum we get the other freak scandal do we lose the momentum because we're a more diverse society we're gonna this is going to be around more and so we're going to have to not just do it around Flashpoints. McPherson is also trying to get us to take institutional racism more seriously. But there's a problem with trying to focus on institutions. Institutions are boring and racism is exciting. It's hot. It's something people get angry about. And it's something that you sort of sounds like, you know, you're institutionally racist or you're not. We've all got journeys to go on over the next five or 10 years. We should have a, a cooler term. It's very hard to say I am I am a football club, I'm institutionally racist, but everybody's welcome. So what you have to say is that's our vision of inclusion. There are disparities, we haven't got the culture we want, we're going on a journey. But it's very hard to own, I think, institutional racism because of what the R word feels like it means. It feels like it means 
bad intentions, a bad heart. What it actually means is that unwittingly, despite your structures, it hasn't been as inclusive of people, but you didn't realise why you didn't notice. So I think I think we need a different way of talking about that because I think I think the term makes people close down, bunker down, and it's very hard actually to accept it. I want to pick up on something that James said um, about uh, South Asians being seen as a cash cow almost um that you know that they they weren't seen as human beings they were seen as a financial thing halima from your perspective um is it possible that business the business imperative can drive this um i'm not talking about it being um uh, treated as human beings but what i'm what i'm talking about is is quite simple we know that when sponsorship is taken away we know when people take away their business uh, change happens. And I just wonder whether we uh, acknowledge that and, and, and use diversity as a business case. I think diversity needs to be uh, a business case. And, and there's all the research out there that says when organisations are more diverse, not just in their kind of setups, when organisations have more diverse sponsors as well, that it attracts more people to the club and there's, you know, it increases their revenue, their productivity. But you don't look at these communities as, you know, as James mentioned there, you know, as cash cows. I'm South Asian, by the way, James, and I haven't got a penny. So, <laughs> um, but I think it's important that, as you say, that this is also an opportunity now for Yorkshire to engage more with the businesses around Yorkshire. There are so many. I live in Bradford, and there are so many South Asian businesses, very successful South Asian businesses that have got international recognition that Yorkshire can really start to engage with. But one of the things they have to first do is build the trust back up. With these, with these communities, with these businesses. And I almost feel that businesses hold a position that maybe in the future, if Yorkshire can sign a deal with some of these businesses, the communities will start to look at the club in a different light. Because people will, you know, if you've got somebody like Myla Hall, for example, in Bradford, you know, who decide to have a sponsorship with Yorkshire, how many people will look at that and thinking, oh, do you know what? Maybe there is a change here. Maybe there is been a shift here. It might drive more people to the club. James? I, I think it's worth pointing out that when Azim first spoke up and there was an initial kind of role of support for him, there was a number of um, about 50 businesses that signed a petition or something like that to say that you know, Yorkshire should uh, do something about this. I think Azim felt very let down by those businesses um, by the end of the process because they um, they had ended up being posing at Bradford Park Avenue cricket grounds with the club because they felt they could get something out of it. A lot of them attended, they got hospitality boxes at the test match because the club was playing the game at the time. So they turned their back on their Azim, as he was, and ended up being jumping into bed with the cricket club. So I think if, you, you know, it's, if you've got principles, stick by yeah. them. And it works both ways, that. I would just the thing say, I was James. most encouraged by, James, um, uh, in terms of sponsors, was in that point when the story had broken and how big was it going to be. The sponsors were crucial. But the thing that really encouraged me was where Yorkshire Tea thought Middle Yorkshire was, that Yorkshire Tea thought Middle Yorkshire was about saying, sort this out now. It's unacceptable. And it's important, I thought, it was Yorkshire Tea and not Nike that was... Yeah doing that i hope they were right about middle yorkshire and absolutely and i, th I think that that the spot there were two things i think really caught fire in azim's situation there was um the sakib javid and his tweet and then there was the sponsor starting to vacate the website and saying we're not gonna we're not happy to support you on this so there was the financial and, and pr embarrassment at the same time wasn't there yeah 
Rosa Arias Yeg, I hope I pronounced your name right, Rosa. Forgive me if I haven't. Um, she says, people who suffer racism are perceived as less professional when they call it out. And what she's suggesting is allyship. Allyship is the key, since allies have a safer position to speak up. Would anybody disagree with that on the panel? Because I, I certainly think that if you are part of a family, if you are part of the tribe and you see something happening, and it's happened to me where people have stepped in, where I've needed that friendship, that allyship, uh, and, and as a person of colour, um, I felt more secure when I know that somebody who is white has stuck up for me and said, no, you can't do that. Can I just jump in there quickly, Bunny? I think it is really important. Absolutely don't disagree with that statement. Um, however, through kind of a, a lived experience of my own in, in a previous previous roles and what I see going on as well is, I think sometimes it depends where that allyship comes from in the chain, um, in the chain of command. And I think if your ally is somebody who's in a senior leadership director position, they will probably be more likely to be noise made. But as if that ally is somebody maybe who is as your peer or working in more of a grassroots, yeah. it's yeah. you still need that as a human being. Let you know, after everything that's said and it's done. People in power, isn't it? Sweat. Yeah. It's what goes back to Sundar's point, which is about leadership. Yeah. And I, and I think Yeah, I think I think we've also heard from James there. James, you've been a very good ally um and using, you know, the voice you have by being there for the long slog. So I think allyship matters a lot. I'm quite sceptical of a lot of the um, American discourse around allyship because it's almost like it's almost like a sort of white liberal conversation uh, among white liberals and I think I think institutions just need to be normally diverse and re reflect all of the diversity. So I think all of this stay in your lane, check your privilege stuff can put allies off actually to some extent. But we should, yeah, we need shared identities, shared culture, shared responsibilities. There's no doubt that support from people who are from majority background though, you know, makes a difference, makes a big difference. Okay, we're in the final five minutes and I just want to go through the panel. I am uh, Boris Johnson with my tasseled hair and you have a chance to uh, address me with one point, just one point. What, what are you going to ask the Prime? What's your ask of the Prime Minister? Uh, James? Flippant one resigned, but that's a totally different thing. <laughs> that that maybe come down to uh, lockdowns and parties. But uh, I I think the government ran a, a an investigation where they basically said institutional racism didn't exist. So I don't think Boris is the right person to talk to, to be quite mm. frank, because institutional racism is rife. It's it's everywhere, and it's just the way it's the way the, the country is, isn't it? And it's it's just the it's because the country is run by white people primarily for white people, and it's having to change because. As Sundar said, you know, the, you know, there are more and more um, people of colour coming into the country. And I think, you know, just, gen just a general point for me to finish with. I think I've learned more about race and racism in the last 18 months than I ever really wanted to. And, uh, you know, I started to own it myself now and started to call people out. I, in the past, I haven't called people out at times and I'm, I'm ashamed of that. Um, and I think that you know, my, the majority of my learnings have come from mixing with people who are different to me. And I think until you start doing that and you still still you start talking to people that come from different religious backgrounds, different cultures in different countries. I'm, I'm the sort of person that goes on holiday, doesn't sit, doesn't sit around the pool, but goes off and eats local food and talks to local people. And I think by doing that, you learn far more about people. And then when it comes down to it and you're working in, the, in an organization um, with other people, you, you, you kind of understand them already a little bit more and, you, and, and it's easier, isn't it? I think far too, there's far too mistrust and people from both sides stand away from each other. We need to kind of get get down and dirty and talk to people a lot more. Sunder? Um, 
I, I'm happy to have a message to Boris Johnson or to Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak next or Keir Starmer. Um, and I think it's I think it's this: whether race unites or divides, very much depends on how that public conversation is framed or led. So we had an exceptionally polarized debate about the Sewell report into different camps, who was in denial, what was going on. And yet, and yet, some months later, we can all agree that Yorkshire County Cricket Club has got a problem of institutional racism. And in a way, I think Sajid Javi did a great thing there with the intervention he made, bringing the government behind that, probably because they learned something from the footballers taking the knee and the way the public reacted. So I thought that was a positive chance to have a less polarised debate. We're going to be talking about this more. It's got a lot of heat in it. And I think our leaders can put the heat in or they can help to manage the heat and help us try and find the common ground. And actually, you get a much more American culture that we don't want Donald Trump's America if, if they choose to dial up the heat on all sides. So that, that would be my message to the current or next leader. Halima. You have the final word. Um, oh, I'll be saying to Boris, thank you for your time. I've got this now. <laughs> so, um, no, look, I'll, I'll keep it quite simple. And I suppose this, whether it's Boris or whether it's the ECB, Yorkshire Cricket or any sporting institution, I would be saying to them, if you are going to provide a service to communities and people, understand them before you want them to understand what you want them to do. And it's as simple as that. Panel, I, I want to thank you very much. And, and just let me just sum up. I think the messages I'm getting and... It's from the chat and, and thank you to everybody who has contributed to this wonderful debate. Thank you to British Futures and to the Asian Media Group for organising it. I think we know that we've got lots to do and it's going to take time before we actually nail it, if ever we do. It's not just about cricket, it involves the whole sport. Um, I know people get twitchy about this, but uh, because you know business, we always argue about the business case. Uh, and, you know, that there's there are people who, who say, let's not just concentrate on what we can get out of uh, ethnic minorities, uh, but what we can actually put in. It's about leadership and political intervention and that we ask real people uh, for their ideas to join in and have real conversations. So on that note, thank you ever so much. Um, if you've enjoyed today's event, my name is Barney Chowdhury. If you haven't, it's George Alagaya. Good night, God bless. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.